there's no better week to begin a segment on artificial intelligence than a week in which the world came together to understand what it truly is. Around 100 world leaders, tech bosses and academics have been meeting these past two days at Bletchley Park and... Judging by the reams of column inches the summit generated this week, there's clearly huge interest in what it is capable of, where it's taking us, and just as importantly, how we control it. Let me take you through some of the reaction in today's papers. The Financial Times lords the new Bletchley Declaration, signed yesterday by 28 countries, including China. The paper says that commitment must deliver a path forward that ensures AI is used in a human-centric, trustworthy and responsible way. We will have the first time something that is smarter than the smartest human. It's hard to say exactly what that moment is, but, but there will come a point where no job is needed. You can have a job if you want to have a job for sort of personal satisfaction, but the AI will be able to do everything. So, I don't know if that makes people comfortable or uncomfortable. It, it, it's, <laughs> uh, In the world of artificial intelligence, there's been one name that's been on everyone's lips lately. ChatGPT. 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 OpenAI, the San Francisco-based startup that created ChatGPT, opened the tool up for public testing in November 2022. In under a week, the AI model amassed over a million users, according to OpenAI's CEO. By the end of January, ChatGPT was averaging about 13 million visitors per day. We present The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is on ISO 42001, AI Management Systems. It's a very, very important standard for AI management and AI risk management because it actually provides a ready-made playbook to organizations who may be using AI, may be thinking about using AI, and just don't know where to start. And I have these conversations all the time with other CEOs who say, look, we, we know this is here, but we're a bit embarrassed. We don't even know how to set a policy. Uh, uh, so this, this standard actually provides all the steps for CEOs, for senior governing bodies, within organizations, right the way through to the cross-functional implementations um, and brings it all together. Um, and it would run through an organization almost like a golden thread to make sure everybody is on the same page. And that's, that is an oversimplification, but in terms of positioning it, I see it as an extremely important body of work that organizations should be taking notice of. Hey, Cindy Paracle. Hey, Matthew Charles. How are you? Well. I'm feeling ahead of the curve. (laughs) How about you? Well, for me, as always these days, I'm trying to break new ground. (laughs) Oh, nice. We haven't done one of these in a while, have we? We haven't, but it uh, it does feel good to be bringing it back. (laughs) Now, it'd be fair to say, Cindy, wouldn't it, that artificial intelligence or AI has been making the headlines recently. In fact, it never seems to be out of the news. As we heard at the top of the episode, that little montage there, we had the news of the recent AI Safety Summit held and led by the UK that took place at Bletchley Park famously home of the World War II codebreakers. And this brought together governments, leading AI companies, civil society groups and others to consider the risks of AI and how they can be mitigated through internationally coordinated action. 
And then we also heard in a sort of a postscript to that summit, a certain Elon Musk being interviewed by the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, no less. Elon Musk was talking about what what might be seen really as sort of a, his negative view about the potential for AI taking people's jobs. And then finally, Chat GPT, the poster boy, poster girl, really, for this AI revolution, the app that everyone has been talking about and been using. And let's be honest, Cindy, it's been quite phenomenally successful in making AI accessible to all. Now, it was only around this time last year that Chat GPT was launched to the public, and its growth has been nothing short of remarkable. Currently, 180 million people have accounts, and get this, Cindy, one. 1.5 billion people visit the site each wow. month. It's amazing, isn't it? That's massive. Now, it's safe to say it's caused a bit of a stir for how it's being used in the workplace and in education, not least because of the possibility for inaccuracy. So you can and like plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> let's just put that out there. <laughs> let's put it out there, exactly. Well, look, talking up. well, I, I, saw, I thought because of that, let's put it to the test. You're going to like this. I okay. thought, let's ask ChatGPT to describe the standard show in three sentences. Oh. <laughs> okay, Let's you ready? Here's what <laughs> yes. it said. The Standard Show podcast offers insightful discussions on industry norms, exploring their impact on technology, safety, and quality. Each episode delves into diverse standards, breaking down complex topics into easily digestible insights. The show aims to keep listeners informed and engaged with the evolving landscape of standards across various sectors. That's not is, bad. Is, is that us, do you think? Is that, that country? Yeah, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> but what I did then, I thought, well, let's ask it again. But I asked it to say, okay, imagine if I was a 10-year-old child. How would you describe the standard show to oh. a 10-year-old child? So okay. this is what it came up with instead. You ready? Yeah. So the standard show is like a cool radio show where they talk about rules and guidelines that help make things work better. Imagine learning about how games have rules or how there are special ways to build things so they're safe and awesome. This podcast talks about those kinds of rules for all sorts of things grown-ups do. And it's super <laughs> interesting. I love that. And also your intonation. <laughs> Subscribe me now. Subscribe me now. I think that's I think everyone just sign up. We've got to listen to that show, surely. For sure. As as well as having a bit of fun with defining what the standard show is. The great thing about AI is the possibility of all of its industrial applications. So in healthcare, for example, where AI is already an important thing, AI has the potential to take things further and significantly speed up data collection and analysis. You know, algorithms can trawl through vast data sets. And this could help researchers to better identify what a drug needs to target in our bodies. Or... In things like carbon reduction, um, we're recording this towards the end of COP28, and we're all aware of what needs to be done for climate action. The thing is, how? AI-powered data engineering can help track emissions from every part of a company's operations and identify areas where further emissions reduction is possible quite amazing. But with these applications and with many others, there are some challenges too, naturally. There are practical and ethical concerns for AI around data accuracy, bias, copyright, intellectual property, and so on. And then there's the issue of public trust, and this is a big one. Some people are genuinely concerned that widespread use of AI could cause a breakdown in human civilization. 
and in less dramatic terms, at least cause widespread unemployment, as Elon Musk suggested. So it is no surprise, really, that in response to these practical and ethical concerns, governments are looking at regulation. So, for example, um, the EU has recently voted to approve draft rules for the AI Act. Clarifications Corner. Since we recorded, those draft rules have been approved. The European Parliament will now vote on the EU AI Act proposals in early 2024. Then in the U.S., um, President Biden has issued a far-reaching executive order on safe, secure and trustworthy AI. Um, Then in China, they have issued a set of measures to manage the generative AI industry. And on the back of the AI Safety Summit, the UK government is building the AI Safety Institute focused on advancing AI safety for the public interest. And Matthew, of course, when there is an issue of public trust, there is a role for standards. Absolutely, there always is. Now, also at the top of the episode was the voice of Pauline Nordstrom, founder and CEO of Anacanta, an organisation committed to the development of ethical and responsible AI. And she was talking about one of those standards. A new one, in fact, ISO IEC 42001. And this episode is my conversation with her about it. It is very exciting, this. It's it's all about getting the foundations right for AI. So the standard specifies requirements and gives guidance on establishing, implementing, maintaining, and continually improving an AI management system. The end game here really is to help organizations and society get the most benefit from AI and reassure stakeholders that their systems are being developed responsibly. Now, the standard is so new, in fact, that it is yet to be published. And we are getting ahead of the game here or the curve. As you said earlier, Cindy, it's due to be published in early 2024. But because the world of AI is so important and so fast moving, we thought now was the time to put 42001 in the spotlight. So Pauline Nordstrom is founder and CEO of Anacanta. Building on over 30 years international board experience in innovation organisations, she created Anacanta in 2016 to focus on ethical and responsible AI. And she is a standards maker too. Having worked in standards development for many years, she is currently a member of ART1, the BSI committee feeding into SC42, the international committee developing ISO IC 42001. I spoke to Pauline about why 42001 has been developed, its key features and the difference it will make. But I started by asking her to describe in her terms what the standard is all about. Well, I love how this has been named because for some enthusiasts, 42 is a very special number, the ultimate answer to the ultimate question. And, um, you know, putting that to one side, it's a very, very important standard for AI management and AI risk management, uh, because it actually provides a ready-made playbook to organisations who may be using AI, may be thinking about using AI, and just don't know where to start. And I have these conversations all the time with other CEOs who say, look, we, we know this is here, but we're a bit embarrassed. We don't even know how to set a policy. Uh, uh, so this, this standard actually provides all the steps for CEOs, for senior governing bodies, 
within organizations, right the way through to the cross-functional implementations um, and brings it all together. Um, and it would run through an organization almost like a golden thread to make sure everybody is on the same page. And that's, that is an oversimplification. But in terms of positioning it, I see it as an extremely important body of work that organizations should be taking notice of. Now, we love, just, just as a note there, we love all references to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, so don't worry about that Excellent. at all. Yeah, you talked about organisations there. You know, who, who do you mean? Who is this standard for? It is designed to work in any sector, in any organisation, of any size, of any scale, whether it's global, whether it's national, whether it's an SME. And these could be organisations who are just starting on their journey. They may have implemented a chatbot in their HR you know, internal HR service. And uh, they, they're not sure, you know, whether this is a problem or not. They may be reading, already reading and filtering CVs. Uh, and, um, you know, it could be an SME, it could be a micro business. And um, for the large organisations who will have functional P&Ls all over the place in different jurisdictions, uh, this standard is for all of these organisations. And when you're making broad sort of generalisations about it's for everyone, uh, I think um, it, you then have to qualify um, the point by saying, look, it works across the entire business landscape, regardless of the size of the organisation or the sector in which it operates. Now, I'm particularly keen to understand, you know, what, why it's being developed, you know, and, and why now? So, so I suppose to what problem is this standard the solution? AI wasn't clearly defined. It's evolved over time. We've had the AI deniers and then those who have claimed that products and services are AI-based when they don't really meet the true definition of it. And um, as a result of all of this and the introduction of uh, the generative AIs, which is the description for uh, the large language models, you've probably heard that expression, that's ChatGPT and so on, AI is all over the place and um, companies are pretty confused about how to put it into practice in their businesses, whether they have it. So it's it's been developed to create some uniformity in terms of how uh, the governing body sets policy, how it uh, assesses risk of the impact of these AIs, how to actually put in place the steps will which will ensure there is actually an emergency stop button. So if things start going really awfully wrong, um, there is someone who is empowered with responsibility and accountability to to say no, we have to we have to stop this because of for these reasons. And the company will know what those impacts are. So it's really to solve the problems of uh, let's say uncontrolled development, which is is in a way that's innovation. But when that development steps into uh, risk for a business and that risk might be causing harm to individuals or actually it may be putting them behind from a competitive perspective, uh, something has to be done about it. So it serves to, to solve these problems. And in terms of its gestation, then, obviously, we're, we're talking at this point now in the development of AI where it's very much in the public domain and standards do take some time to develop. I just wonder, were the motivations at the start of the project the same as they are now in terms of the problem that it's trying to solve? I would suggest they are very similar. Uh, that This has been a problem for the AI community for some time. And as AIs have become more functional, fun- functional, it's it's 
obvious that something needed to be done. Now, as governments have taken note of the risks associated with AI implementation, we've started to see regulation and pending regulation popping up all over the place. And um, this standard actually drops in very nicely to support compliance with some of these regulations. Uh, uh, so I'd say, you know, the mission to do the right thing, uh, usually standards fill a void and provide a de facto way of doing things. If there's no de jure, you know, there's no law to say you have to do things a certain way. But the way it's evolved, it's now become even more important in terms of fitting in with the framework of um, ways of achieving responsible, trustworthy, compliant, safe, risk-managed AI that is aligned actually with uh, global regulation as it's emerging. Now, standards obviously are a, a collaborative exercise. You know, many people sitting around around the table to decide what good looks like. Can you tell, tell me who's been involved in the development of this particular standard? Well, a range of experts actually around the table. Um, there are multiple PhDs. PhD is very important uh, in the right area in terms of research. Uh, there are senior company directors. I'm an industrialist and former proprietor CEO of my own company. I've been MD, I've been VP, I've been international director, CEO in industry. So the industrial experience is very important. Policymakers, key institutions, those who are advising, who are managing and enforcing regulation. So a very wide range of stakeholders. Do you want to help make people's lives easier, safer, and more enjoyable? Well, why not become a standards maker and have your say on the development of standards? Standards affect all of us every day, wherever we go, whatever we do. By defining good practice, they help people, organizations, the economy, and society to do things better. Each year, standards bodies publish thousands of standards, and we're looking for more people like you to join our community of standards makers. We welcome applicants from all fields, backgrounds, and career stages. Our goal is to have a balance of views around the table. By becoming a standards maker, you could help to create cities that boost people's well-being, develop higher quality healthcare systems, build healthier and more inclusive workplaces, and even make strides in AI governance. So if you want to make a difference and shape the world through standards, start your standards making journey now. Simply visit bsigroup.com forward slash get involved. Now, you spoke a little bit about the, sort of the, the purpose and the rationale behind the development of the standard. I want you to take us inside it. You know, what are the, what are the key features of it? Okay, it'd be fair to say I love the word playbook uh, because it kind of sets the scene that it will walk you through every single step of risk assessment, categorization of risk, the management processes, uh, the right policy language that's required, and then detailed implementation guidance. And I would say it translates... What otherwise was quite ethereal high-level guidance sort of floating around, uh, for example, the OECD guidelines for trustworthy AI, uh, which are very difficult to implement. It takes those principles and operationalizes them, which means in simple terms, provides the steps that are required because organizations, industry works on the basis of what are we going to do? So high-level principles uh, require translation and 
if those were left for industry to interpret, you'd get hundreds of different interpretations. So what this does, it, it takes that step and provides a framework. And uh, what's really important about this standard is that uh, some organisations, we just set the scene, some organisations have standards and compliance in a separate department, and there's very little interaction uh, at a senior level in the organisation. Now, I've worked in organisations where um, the compliance officer, he, he was the most trusted person in my organisation because he was saying, uh, you know, you're a director, this is your duty and responsibility. So tell me, tell me, what do we have to do? So this is actually aimed in really nice, easy to read language at directors, at governing bodies. It's also aimed at the compliance people and it, it's very, very easy to go through and follow. So it can be in the hands of compliance, implementation and the board. And it sets out all the requirements that they need to follow to uh, set the policy. It will say what should be in that policy. Also, what that company needs to do to assess risk, to manage risk, to mitigate those risks, to review, to continually improve and make sure all of those processes join up with the policy that is set at the outset. I'm interested, um, Pauline, about sort of first steps here. You've talked about the the sort of organisations that might use it and the way it might be used. But maybe I'm a, an SME. Uh, I'm looking at this for the first time. I'm interested in this. You know, what might be the first step that I would take? Obviously, I've downloaded the standard. I'm reading it. What would be the first step an organisation would take in order to use ISO IEC 42001? Certainly. Well, it's really important to define the context of the use of the AI in the organisation. So some uh, it's conversations that are more of a discovery type of discussion uh, with, um, depending on the structure of the organisation, there may be managers, uh, it may be a smaller company, um, or it may be a large company with P&Ls for each function. But first and foremost, let's define what the AI is and how is it used within the organisation? What is the context? Uh, that's the first step because you need to know what you have. So it's a kind of discovery. What have we got here? And then following that, um, that informs uh, the policy which needs to be set by the governing body, usually the board. Uh, and that policy essentially is the linchpin at the centre of this in terms of how that company, what is their approach Let's say, and I mentioned HR because that's one of the areas that attracts a lot of controversy because automating HR processes can lead to automated, amplified bias within organisations. So great care has to be taken in that area. And um, the policy might be, we are not going to be biased. Now, you may suggest to me that all organisations should take that approach, but they don't necessarily have it in their language. And becoming aware of it, what it looks like, how it manifests and how it affects the people. This is a really important cycle for the board to take take on board, quite frankly. So I'm an organisation then. I've uh, downloaded the standard. I've used the standard. Maybe I'll be maybe using it for, for, for a couple of years. What are the benefits to the organisation of using it? And I may be thinking not just the organisation, but maybe the wider benefits to the economy and society of organisations using this standard. So first and foremost, um, Think about the internal market there. So the people that work within that organization. So as a result of having a really clearly defined policy that um, has checks and measures, balances in place that's, that prevent harm through the use of automated processes uh, driven by AI, 
creates a community of trust within that organization, the safety, the psychological safety. And organizations that make their employees happy are more successful. So first and foremost, the organization itself prospers because it attracts talent, it retains talent, and uh, any risk to their well-being and ultimately the performance, um, they are managed and dealt with. So for the organization, there's great benefit. For the stakeholders that organization interacts with, uh, my, my background's in industry and uh, fundamentally where you've got really big integrated systems, think about trains, think about transit networks, uh, there isn't just one piece of technology in there. You've got multiple pieces of technology and those have to integrate. The buyer has to be sure that what they're buying is going to perform and um, it's a lower risk for the buyer. So buying from a company or interacting with a company that has 42001 compliance in place, um, has the management system in place, gives the buyer comfort. So that helps to make the whole supply chain prosperous and improves the quality. And uh, when there's a good experience with an AI system, it leads to more good experiences. And um, the way to achieve that good experience in a uniform way is to have a standard at the heart of it. In terms of the wider society, uh, the let's say it's an organisation that uh, provides products that affect the public. The public can have comfort in knowing that this is how an organisation manages uh, the AI systems that they produce or that they use. They may be using technology that the public interact with. You know, it might be within, I've talked about transit, maybe the airport, you know, AI is everywhere in these scenarios. And um, because this is so easy to understand, the public can, can really challenge and say, well, what systems have you got and how are you managing them? Well, we do it to 42001. And it's, it's fairly transparent that 42001 will ensure a company does, or organisation does actually follow these processes and corrects the problems uh, that may arise. And there's an entire sort of virtuous loop in there. I'm going to ask you a sort of, um, give you a personal view here. You know, how, how big a deal is this standard? Or potentially how, potentially how big a deal is this standard? Well, yes, I think it's a really important standard. I would say it is, is probably leaning towards becoming um, the global de facto for AI risk management and AI management within an organisation. And I say that because if you think about what my company does, we, we know about all the regulations uh, around the world. And um, we are advising clients who operate in multiple jurisdictions. And although we can see at the very high level, the OECD guidelines, yes, they are starting to filter through into the regulations, but each area has a different approach. And the bottom line is for AI to be prosperous, companies and organizations need to buy it and it needs to be profitable. So the cost of selling, so let's say this, how this circles through. So if you sell an AI product and when it hits the, um, the wild world, as I describe it, it doesn't perform in the way as you would expect, um, it costs a lot of money to put that right. So early AI deployments can be extremely negative in terms of profit. How do we solve that problem? Well, you do things in a uniform way. So um, it, it helps to create profit in a prosperous community. But fundamentally, I think my point here is really related to the different approaches to regulation um, and legislation that will happen in Europe. 
and that there has to be some sort of common element that all organisations can use because you can have multiple legal jurisdictions but we're in a a global marketplace here and many organisations sell across jurisdictions. So and and um, what do you know? My experience: if you have a different offering or a different way of doing things in each region, it costs a lot more money. Also, it's more difficult to transfer your people between operations because all the systems are different. So this creates that base level of uniformity that any company anywhere in the world, if they implement it, they are they are going to be uh, improving their relationship with the public, with the stakeholders and leaning towards, depending on how the regulations are set out, leaning towards providing evidence of their compliance with that regulation. I'm going to get you to look ahead now then. You've talked about the sort of, a, the this is an important point in the AI journey, AI story. Overall then, in your view, from where you sit and your experience, what difference will the standard make and how will we know when it's made it? What we do know about um, quality management systems in particular that um, they do provide a a base level of, let's say, accountability, repeatability, uh, challenge, um, auditability. And um, knowing that about ISO 9001, for example, uh, Force 2001 is is modelled around those set of principles. So uh, we know it will make a difference because uh, you've got experience from other management standards that have made an incredible difference to the quality of products that go out into the marketplace. And leading on to that, how do we know? Well, how do we know? Because this is challengeable. The company has to be audited to ensure that they follow and comply with the standard. And part of that standard is actually having the measures, checks and balances and measures in place which enable accountability for the harms or the goodness or whatever that AI system is bringing to the market. And uh, gradually, as companies take on uh, this standard, we will see consistent language, we'll see uniformity in the approach, and we will see less of the Wild West approach that we see in AI system deployment, which is leading to regulators kind of getting to know about it or acting very late after harms have occurred and uh, what the standard serves to do. It will nick those problems in the bud and we should see a reduction in very difficult scenarios. There have been a few recently. Um, in fact, a whole government resigned as a result of misuse of AI. That was the Dutch government. And um, in fact, the learnings from that particular situation have fed into some of the regulation and almost certainly into the standard as well. So how do we know? Well, we'll see fewer harms. We'll see comfort and trust from the public. We'll see buyers in the industrial and commercial world making decisions on the basis of a consistent quality standard they can rely on. Based on our research, and we know the global landscape uh, and have an extensive database that's contextualised around every regulation, every standard that's available in the world, uh, we have not found one that does this. Uh, So I'd suggest this is breaking new ground and actually is the first and uh, the only uh, standard for AI management and uh, risk management uh, that I have actually seen. So that's why I'm singing its praises because it's absolutely outstanding. Uh, There is nothing else out there. 
Now, here on The Standards Show, we absolutely love our standards journeys. We like to give our guests and contributors the chance to tell their stories about how they got involved and stay involved in standards. So my final question for Pauline was about just that. I asked her, what's been her standards journey? How and when did it start for her? And where is she now? My business started started doing things in 2020, and it's almost one of those um, overnight 20-year successes. Um, I've been in standards for a very long time, and uh, that interest in standards evolved from actually what I was doing in my day job. And um, if you think about industrial technology, I've been in technology for most of my working life. Um, I have been in the corporate world, uh, on the board of a number of technology companies, in industrial security and safety and systems into, you know, uh, uh, alluding to integrated into um, aircraft, into planes, trains, automobiles, police vehicles, critical infrastructure. So how does all of that happen? Um, and in reality, you've got so many stakeholders around the table, you know, putting a safety system on a train is not trivial. And in order to sell into that space, you have to comply with the standards that they set which may be safety, it might be emissions, you know, EMC, you've got the basic CE, UL safety, fire safety requirements, you have interoperability requirements, so how data is exchanged uh, between systems, um, and APIs are defined, so the that's the data exchange between APIs and databases, uh, and also video compression standards. You know, you, there's a book for all of these, and um, you have to follow them, and you have to follow them because that's how you win federal government. I'm talking about US, um, huge experience in that uh, realm. They define, we want these systems, they have to comply with all of these standards, and uh, more often than not, uh, they are BSI originated and they have gone through into ISO and IEC. And that's the common approach. And what that, that enables is the developer to make a system that will comply in multiple markets, okay, in this very complex channel of integration of uh, different providers working together and exchanging data between their systems. So that that's basically uh, my role was making sure the organisation knew about those standards and that the bid team knew how to understand and interpret them, how to communicate our compliance, because you have different levels of compliance with different standards, and that we would uh, put our bid in and it would be successful. And, and we were successful in doing that. And continuing conformance with those requirements um, required a great deal of management and governance for at board level. And um, so in parallel with that, um, so I've had a, a very successful corporate career, but I, I saw the gaps and understood that companies really needed to work together to bridge those gaps because you're creating a community for all to prosper in at the end of the day. So I got involved in the development of standards uh, 20 years ago. And that was uh, strangely when the first AIs came out, um, which were called AI, but not really. And um, they were being used for high risk scenarios in military and defense um, sort of uh, opportunities, shall we say, whereby no other technology could solve a problem. So perimeter protection, uh, for example, in vast areas uh, where, uh, you know, the, there's no possibility of having people looking, um, frankly. So technology was being used and it was the Wild West. 
there was this kind of technology in retail and you probably heard of heat mapping and so on. And um, I remember sitting with the British Retail Consortium and uh, they said, we've told all our members just don't use AI. So why is that? Because all the vendors, they just say they make the claims and the stuff doesn't work and it's interrupting the operations. And when I say it doesn't work, it would work in the lab, but with AI, it's got to be tested with real life data. So this um, evolved over time. I was involved in the development of standards for uh, privacy guidelines for digital evidence in the criminal justice system. And in recent times, this is with the BSIA, which is a very specialised security industry association, AI and, bi- and biometrics. And one of their guides has actually made it through the standard system and will become a British standard for the ethical use of facial recognition software in video surveillance. So I've been doing that for 20 years and working with that organisation for a very long time. And um, the move into ART1 was a natural progression um, because the AI is now on the global agenda. It's in our language. Everyone's talking about it. And uh, I was invited into that committee because of the work I was doing in my business and also because of my background in in biometrics. And uh, so that's 20 years of doing this. And I was doing that alongside my corporate career, uh, which uh, took a huge amount of time. But it's, it's, it's paid off because... I know and uh, amongst you know others and the cohort sort of producing all of this we're competitors around the table at the end of the day but we're doing the right thing for the right reasons and we all benefit at the end of the day. I just wonder uh, Pauline I'm just listening to there and hearing the, the passion in your voice and and obviously you convey the idea well convey the the fact that standards have been an important part of your professional life. Yeah. Uh, for a significant amount of time. I just wonder what you might say to other people who haven't started their standards journey, maybe at the start of their professional career. What would you say to them about, about getting involved in standards? I would encourage it. Um, really get involved, get round the table, uh, get to know the groups who are doing the work on this. And I would say that specifically for women in leadership, because for me, uh, I have uh, achieved a corporate, successful corporate career Um, I'm a rare uh, woman owner of an AI safety business. And one of the elements of this interaction enabled me to meet other people, to grow my presence, to build my leadership skills as well, because I was chairing committees, but also learning to work in a collaborative environment and just keep showing up um, at the end of the day. But for anyone, regardless of their demographic, what it's doing is you're, you're learning, you're sharing, you are improving your presence. It's great for your career building and building your personal presence as well in a particular space. You can be a CEO and a subject matter expert. You can be a senior leader and a subject matter expert. You can be a compliance engineer and a subject matter expert. Everybody is equal around that table and they're all bringing something slightly different. So you get to hear a lot of different perspectives. It opens the mind and um, improves your learning journey because you're outside uh, what might be a closed bubble of your job, your day job. So I'd highly encourage it. Our thanks to Pauline Nordstrom for talking to us about ISO IEC 42001 ahead of its formal launch and also for sharing with us her standards journey. Now, if you want to discover more about ISO IEC 42001, the relationship between AI and standards and how to get involved in standards, 
then check out the links in the show notes. And the show notes are also where you can find details of our socials and all of the other ways to get in touch with us here on The Standard Show. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to The Standard Show now, wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.